Okay, welcome to Save the Trauma for Your Mama. This is Autumn, and we have Lauren with us. Hey, guys. <laughs> that wasn't awkward at all. And then we have John. Hi, my name is John. I'm an alcoholic and addict. <laughs> Before we start, I do just want to say uh, two, two purposes here. One, uh, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I want to give a disclaimer that this is my personal experience. This is not, you know, a, I don't want this to be a poor reflection to everyone about the Catholic church also uh, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and in keeping with the 11th tradition I don't want to break my uh, personal anonymity here I thought for your guys's podcast it'd be a useful perspective of somebody who grew up in faith very drastically stepped away from it and you know now trying to live a different life and trying to refine faith um, just my perspective on that mm -hmm. It's funny, we actually, I'm going to mention it now, we, we tried to record this once, yes. and we had some technical issues, and we had a really good conversation with it. It was amazing. There were some good well, highlights. And I think for all of us, well, at least for Autumn and I, it's more nerve-wracking the second time around for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> we know how good the first recording yeah. was, and how all the different stages yeah. of grief, I went through that when we actually lost it. Yeah. <laughs> when we were looking for it through all the files, and it was, yeah, that that was not good but and so it's kind of hard for me it's like how do we top that because that was we had such a, a like a golden nugget no, you know I think I you know I think it's we'll be able to to capture the highlights of what we were talking about there I guess the first place to start is just give you a little background about myself you know I live here in town I operate a business here in town I work right in the shadow of where you know where I was spending most of my life being raised in faith you know being Catholic it's different from, you know, Baptist Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's different from a lot of different yeah. sects of Christianity. They call us the lunch line uh, Christians. We get to kind of just pick and choose yeah. what we, you know, how we're going to live it. And even that, though, I wouldn't say it's that, you know, when you're fully raised in the Catholic faith, it's not that simple. One thing that we talked about last time in the conversation that um, I think is going to be an overarching theme for this is what I call the, the terms and conditions of faith, mm -hmm. the terms and conditions of God. And so for me, I like went to Sunday school, I went to a Catholic school, all of that. And, you know, Did you graduate it, high school from Catholic school? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All the way K through 12 all the way K through 12. Wow. For me, I just remember some of my earliest memories of growing up in the church. It, it, first off, it's a wonderful, very peace-filled environment. It's it's very, you know, it, everybody's on the same page. Everybody's on the same team. You're, you're raised in a loving community, you know, Growing up with that village taking care of you, it, it's something that I, I I cherish. I cherish those memories. I don't. That's why I don't want any of this conversation to reflect poorly on the Catholic Church. Just because you know I had a bad, I had some bad experiences in my life. That's mm -hmm. not what this conversation is about. <clears throat> but what's you know one thing that we talked about last time that I think is very important to make a point in is starting children off in in religion at a very early age can give you a very warped view of the world and a very warped view of morality then a warped view of yourself because of that mm -hmm. so you know catholic catholic doctrine has a lot of you know specifics and stipulations that i've shared throughout christianity on you know gay marriage capital punishment euthanasia all you know there's there's all sorts of little nitpicky um items there abortion all of it and you know we live in a free country everybody is entitled to their own views of it for myself i try to think of myself as a pretty progressive person socially but I, I i know that it's a spectrum and i definitely fall somewhere in the middle but growing up in that faith it, it it's very black or white there's no there's no shades of gray there's nothing in between that tells you you know what you're feeling in your heart about a certain situation it, it's either right or wrong Right. There's yeah. no there's no leeway for oh if you do you know we were talking about this before we started recording if you it's that sense of if you do this you're going to hell mm -hmm. if you do this you know you have to fight for this or otherwise you're not fighting for God mm -hmm. for me it just it immediately I, I felt it in my heart from a young age that that wasn't right I kind of started rebelling pretty early as a kid I remember starting to really challenge te teachers like 
teaching of the doctrine um, of the Catholic faith at a young age, like pretty early as far as like 10, 11 years old. I just kind of became known as that kid at school that <laughs> I'll argue with you on it. I will argue with you on it and I would die on that hill. I'd get in a lot of trouble for it. It got so bad by... I work but, in a Christian school and the kids that do that are my favorite ones. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I it think, teaches them critical thinking. Great point there because I would internalize it as I'm being punished for, you know, being myself. I'm, I'm being punished for the way that I think, the way that I feel. And um, I don't know, it, it, it eventually got to the point of, of apathy where they just kind of gave up on me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like by the by, my senior year, um, we had a wonderful nun. I, I still love her to death. Um, we had a wonderful nun that was uh, our theology teacher, and she pulled me out in the first week of theology class senior year, and she made it clear she was like, "If you just shut your mouth and let me teach and don't argue with me on stuff, I will give you an A. <laughs> I will give you an A, and you don't have to do anything." And I, uh, me being me really wanted to test the boundaries of that so I stopped doing homework and um, she gave a quiz I slid it right back to her and she gave me a 95 and I was like hold on here uh, I was <laughs> I, I argued on that even like that's that's how oh my God. that's how you know ego driven I was in it was that because I, I had aced everything in that class and I was like I've never gotten anything below a 98 from you that's what I that's what I want and so she gave it to me because she oh she just God. didn't want to deal with me and I don't blame her I I do not blame her one bit. Um, you know, you're going through all those angsty teen, teen hormones and everything, and, and I just wanted to argue it. Yeah. But where it came from, where where those thoughts and feelings came from, was really in my heart of like what I felt was not right with those doctrines. It's difficult to talk about now because they are still such hot button issues. But there are certain things that I just look at at a case by case basis, and if I'm looking at a, at a case by case basis gotta believe God is. I gotta believe that yeah. God is is looking at people's hearts and and trying to I don't know, I, I, I don't think I think the decisions are already made, you know, of of what's happening. But so after school I moved away and started working in my profession and Throughout that time, you know, I had experimented with alcohol and drugs throughout high school. Um, I'd say things did start getting bad my senior year, but really, really where it started getting bad was um, my first two years on my own. And for me, I, I would just go from one thing to the next. Like, you know, when I was growing up, opioids were a big thing. I'm really happy to see that that has started to kind of die down, I think, for this younger generation. But it was a huge thing while I was in school. I used heavily for five years and then got myself clean off of that, but only, you know, replaced it with alcohol and cocaine. And I stayed with that for a good long time, like probably seven or eight more years. And it slowly, it took everything away from me. I never denied the existence of a God. I just thought at, at a certain point I came to feel that, you know, I don't want anything to do with him because he doesn't want anything to do with me. And that's, that's really kind of the crucible of the, the disease is that, you know, we're so ego driven, we're so egocentric and selfish in what we do that, you know, if we don't see any benefit for ourselves in it, we won't we don't give it a second thought. And it's not, it, it, and it seeps into all aspects of our, our lives, of you know, how we how we treat ourselves, how we treat other people. Unfortunately, I, I think I fully lost the ability to, to love, so to actually love myself, to actually, and because of that, love someone else. I had a very loving family. There is no reason that any of this should have happened. It's life, and the wonderful thing about it now is like, you know, when I, when I first walked through the doors of AA, that was a huge hurdle was no, walking through those doors knowing that this wasn't, you know, th this is a problem that I have that I can't solve myself. I've tried for years, tried for years, and I had to believe in something bigger than me to solve it because I couldn't do it alone. And because of that, you know, because of my upbringing and how I felt, towards you know what we'll call the the terms and conditions of god i didn't want to give it over to him i i didn't trust it i didn't want anything to do with it purely because of those those early indoctrinations of of what i'd been taught as a kid and that's you know again that's not fair to myself and it's not fair to anyone that's why i think that a big point that i'd like to make in this conversation is um you know 
religion religion can be great for children, but eventually they they have to come to their own understanding of it. They have to mm-hmm. have their own relationship with God and not just the one that's imprinted on them when they're a child. I, I know that the Catholic Church, we have a lot of rites, you know, sacraments of passage. The first three sacraments that you experience are reconciliation, communion, and confirmation. And confirmation is really like the big one. That's that's where you're supposed to come into your own and be and have your own adult faith and yes. you're making the decision for yourself. Like you've been raised in a, in a faith environment and, you know, in reconciliation, you're taught about original sin and all of these things that are just kind of stuck on you. Communion is is really reaffirming the idea of you know what we were talking about before we started recording. There's you know uh, the Catholic Church doesn't particularly view heaven and hell as places; they're more states of being. Mm-hmm. And communion is a, is an affirmation of that. Communion is an affirmation of you are you are at one with God. You are you are making a commitment to Him. You you are giving you are devoting yourself to to that. In the Catholic Church's eyes, um, hell. While it is also a place, it is mainly a state of being. It's the separation of God from from yourself. And so you go through all of that and you get to confirmation. Confirmation is where you're supposed to, as an adult, stand up and say, yes, leave this. This is, you know, this is what I believe for my life. And this is, I'm, I'm now confirming that this is how I choose to live my life. How old are people usually 13. when they go through that? So that's a big decision <laughs> exactly. to take on, which I'll just say from my own point of view, seemingly a little bit forcibly with being so young. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not their choice necessarily. It's just oh, yeah. following the steps. Exactly. And it's, it, at that point, you're 13. You're, you're a kid. You haven't experienced any real adult life. <sighs> Unfortunately, you know, to that point in my life, I hadn't experienced anything that had really shown me God's plan for my life. So I was agreeing to something that I didn't understand. And, you know, that blind faith that's kind of imprinted on you, it can get you through a lot of stuff, but it's, it's, it's not made on a solid foundation. It's, it's very prone to collapse. And that's what happened to me is when, when I actually started living my adult life and, and started having adult problems, you know, I didn't have a good foundation of faith to fall back on. I had no trust in it. And and that's where I, I just tried to become completely self, self-reliant. self And that's, again, that's where it, it boils back down to the, you know, the disease of addiction is we are... We try to be completely self-reliant. We try to take care of things ourselves. It's all me, 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 me. I never realized how much, you know, how much that was imprinted on me and how much I tried to fix, manage, and control my own life because I had no faith. I had no faith that any anything else was bigger than me and that anything else could. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, you know, the other thing too is when you get into that that mentality of wanting to fix, manage, manage and control everything, you're also not able to love anything. You you can't. It, it's very difficult for you to accept things the way they are. You start creating these patterns of behavior that you manipulate, you sabotage things, and you, you you're always trying to do things for your own benefit because. You don't think that anything else is going to work out your way if you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just kind of at the core of addiction there. And walking into AA knowing that I had this problem and knowing that I was also going to have a problem with giving it over to God as I understood him then, it was a huge hurdle. It, 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 I'll tell you this, we have this saying in AA that, um, you know, when people come in, hopefully you have the gift of desperation. Hopefully you have the gift of desperation that your life has gotten so out of control, so unmanageable, and you you have so much pain in your soul that you're willing to try anything. And that's where I was. It, I was absolutely willing to try anything. And I even, knowing those two things walking in, I came to the acceptance of, I don't care even if I don't get better, even if my life doesn't get better, if I can just come here and and just be sober and miserable for the rest of my life it's better than than dying the way that I was going to die and you know that's a scary that's a scary fact to face down but that's what the 12 steps are of AA are there for and that's you know where this process all began for me is getting a sponsor and starting to work the steps in order so I, I remember last time we had this conversation, I, I want to take a second to break down those steps and what, you know, there's three main sections of them. Mm-hmm. Everybody's heard, you know, about the 12 steps, but 
diving a little bit deeper into it. The first three steps, they're what we call the faith building steps. And it's so important. That's the very first hurdle that you have to get over. And for me personally, you know, with all of my past experience with religion, I thought that was going to be the biggest one. It wasn't, but it was it was a challenge in itself. And as they read, it's, you know, we, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, and three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now, that third one is the scariest for me because my understanding of God coming into those rooms was not a loving and accepting and pleasant one. I thought walking in there, I thought that I had all of these you know, things in my heart that weren't supposed to be there because I had been raised a certain way in the Catholic Church to think that my views and opinions on certain subjects were completely wrong and that because of them I was, you know, destined to be damned. I was destined to be separated from God. That's why I love AA so much. It's not, we, we say that we're a spiritual program. We're not a religious program. We do not, we, we use the term God, but it's always followed by the addendum as you understand him. You know, mm -hmm. the further along you go in the steps and the further along you go in the program, you really get a deeper and, and more intimate and loving understanding of God. Which is honestly something that a lot of people that go to church every Sunday don't have. Mm -hmm. We we It's way easier to talk about the fear-based judgment side of God than the loving side. And that's, I think, in our own humanity sometimes what we focus on because Sometimes we feel like that shame of like, oh, I deserve that. And so there's not that. I think for me, the biggest thing in my life too is realizing that God is a compassionate person and not yeah. just. Exa it, I think, and for me, I was lucky. I had a wonderful sponsor that also grew up Catholic. Being able to, to help me reconcile those two feelings of this is how I was raised. This was the, the view that I was raised with of God as a child. And, mm -hmm. and then coming to understand that it's not all black and white, that it's not just all of these terms and conditions so that you can break what you're talking about, that, that behavior cycle of, of internalizing all of those bad feelings, feeling that it's yourself causing that. Mm -hmm. You know, he... He really kind of laid it out pretty simply to me. He's like, God can be a, a anything that you want him to be. And this is this is what any good sponsor will do with a sponsee is it can be anything that you want it to be. Like God, a lot of people, there are atheists in the program, but it, the, the more important point of it is being able to believe that there's something bigger than you that can solve your problem. And so where it starts for a lot of people and kind of what gave me the reassurance to start was, okay, even if I come to, to just not you know be able to accept the god that i grew up um good orderly direction good orderly direction you know the reassurance that as long as i keep making the next right decision my problem is going to become manageable it's going to be easier and it's not just all on me that's why the first step the wording of all of these steps is very important that's why in the very the very first word is we we came to admit we were powerless over alcohol and, and our lives had become unmanageable it's a we program mm -hmm. so you know the more that you talk to people in it the more to see how other people's perceptions of God has changed as they go along through it too. But, you know, those first three steps, once you get to the end of that, like making that decision, because by by step three, you, you need to have somewhat of a clear understanding of what it is that's bigger than you. And at that point, to a lot of people, whether you're atheist, spiritual, you, you're Christian, Jewish, whatever, a lot of us, at the very least, can concede that this program, these steps, it's bigger than us. It's, you know, I, I'm willing to, to give my life over to that care because by that point in the program, you've been shown that there is unconditional love, there is acceptance, there is real faith, you know, something solid that you can turn your life over to. As opposed to when I was a 13-year-old kid, you know, saying my con confirmation prayers and everything, you know, I didn't have, it's something that my sponsor brings up pretty pretty regularly is that we don't have a good track record of faith um, coming through the doors there. We don't you know we've been shown time and time again that we let ourselves down that other people let us down that God lets us down because we're we're just chopping our life into all of these like you know little smaller views of it um, he loves using this analogy of there's you know 
people who make tapestries. There's these beautiful cloth woven tapestries in the world that you look at them and you're just like, wow, just thousands of hours and so much mm -hmm. effort, you know, going in to make that. And then you turn around, you look at the back and it's a mess. It's an absolute mess because it's all of these individual strands and it's only, it, you know, it, it's only beautiful when you look at it as a whole and that one, you know, that one perspective. Um, and that's, you know, that's what really I think solidifies faith for me is, is being able to look at my life and look at where my faith life started and where it is now. Like I absolutely, I absolutely believe in God. I believe in a heaven and hell. Um, I think I have maybe some broader views than the Catholic church on it, but I also feel in my heart that, you know, that faith now, it will guide me through. It will guide me through harder, you know, harder moments because I now have a better track record. So like continuing on with the steps there, you know, one through three is your faith building. Four through nine is what we call the house cleaning. That's where you really start to address all of the things inside of yourself. And at first you don't necessarily understand why, but as you go along, what you come to learn is that it's, you know, you're cleaning out all the stuff that kept you separated from God. It's all of the things that keep you living in this personal hell that you've created for yourself. And the so the first the first thing that we do is we we take a, a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. Everybody kind of balks at this step because it you know it's not just about like people look at that they'll hear that and be like God I have to relive all the horrible things that I've done. That's not where you start. That's not where you start like uh, of actually you know, assessing your morality and where, where it lies. It's not just the bad things you've done. Like that comes later where you start is why are you know, what are the things that are holding you back from God? You take an inventory of what are the things that you're mad at? What resentments are you holding on to? What did it affect in you? What are you trying to protect that you feel like you're, you have to hold on to? And once you identify those things, so four and five, you, you make that inventory and then five, you sit down with admitted to ourselves, to God and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And it's not just like, oh, I have to recant. It, 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 it's weird because in the Catholic faith, we have, we have confession, we have reconciliation, and that's where you do an actual accounting of like all of the bad things they've done. Yeah. And that's- Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And, it's, and, and don't worry, there's more work to follow, there's penance. Um, but, but that's the thing is, it's funny because like, it's so much more broad in a spiritual sense in AA. You're not, you're not just sitting there like, oh, I lied this many times, or whatever it's more it's more like going after the root of it of like why are you angry yeah. why you know the intentions of, yeah exactly what caused you to do these yeah. things what what is causing you for, to yeah. to sin and be and when you're doing that God. in the catholic church or you know in whatever church you're in you're more doing it so that you can like save face uh -huh, and exactly. it's not really to actually work on yourself. You and it's know, not so even so much about saving face. It's it's more. It's okay, I should say speaking from my. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. No, you're good. And that's the thing is like I, I don't know for for me I just remember it for Catholicism it it wasn't so much about saving face it was more about like lightening the load off your chest you know getting it off your chest so that you can feel better about it and that's not you know that's then you know as we're going through the steps so six is then we're entirely ready to have god remove these defects of character seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings and then eight and nine are kind of the famous ones that most people think of when they think of the 12 steps and that's where you know we make a list of all uh, all the people we have harmed and uh, become willing to make amends to them and then nine make direct amends wherever possible. And so what you're talking about with, you know, with confession of like saving face and everything, I, I, I came to a very deep understanding of that with eight and nine. You know, I assessed myself, sat down with another human being and admitted to them and God the exact nature of like, what is it in me? And what it boils down to is most most addicts and alcoholics, we live our life you know, driven by self-centered fear. Self-centered fear that we're not going to be loved, that we're not going to achieve the things or get the things that we want. And those, and that's why we act out. That's why we do these things that separate us further from God and from our fellow, fellow man. And so once you're able to see that and you're able to see like your actual character defects of like, these are the things I really struggle with. Then you, you sit down and you start making that list of these are the people I've harmed, you know, through doing those things. And the, the key word in that is amends. 
you know, and that's, you know, I think, because when you go through first, uh, first reconciliation in the Catholic Church, you're usually seven. You have no concept of what a reconciliation is. You don't know what it yeah. is. You're, you know how to say you're sorry, mm-hmm. but you don't know what that means. You yeah. don't know how to actually make an amends and change. It's not just changing your behavior, but actually trying to put things right. right. And so for me, like sitting there and analyzing it, I had some amends on my list that I needed to make that I couldn't make um, realizing that I just was trying to make those amends because I just wanted it off my chest um, because the wording of nine is made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would harm them or others mm-hmm. and so for me you know there were there were some things that I did and, and some amends that I wanted to make that the person didn't even know and it wasn't right for me to make that amends. Not because, it, it, I really had to sit there and analyze it. I really had to sit there and analyze it because if it was as simple as like, oh, I'd stolen something from someone, yeah, and they didn't know, yeah, I would make that amends mm-hmm. and tell them, hey, I took this from you. This is this is what I can do to make that right. Here's something in compensation, mm-hmm. you know, to give back to you. Whereas there are other things, you know, there are other things that I couldn't make amends for because they didn't know they're still living, you know, they're still living their life and it's not right of me who's been a, one per- person in particular. I'd been out of their life for so long and it had been holding on to that for years and I couldn't make that amends because all it would do would, would be to interrupt their peace yeah. just because I wanted to feel better yeah. and that's not right. You know, that's, to me, I <clears throat> I think that's lost on a lot of people in organized religion when you're going, especially in Christianity, when you're going to reconciliation or, you know, when you're going to reconciliation and confession, you're, you think, oh, I get to get this off my chest and then I have to say some prayers and everything's good. You know, that's in a spiritual sense, like maybe... You kind of feel like, oh, I get off scot-free and I feel better about myself. And like As Catholics, time, we're, we're known for that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, last time that we talked about this, that was something that really resonated with me. And because I, all my life, have never really had an issue with going to people and being like, look, I did this. It was wrong. I'm sorry. But the, the intention behind it mm-hmm. was because I wanted to feel better. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care. No. I didn't wait for them to cool off if they were mad. I just did it whenever it felt good for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if one of my, any of my sisters listen to this, they'll be like, yeah, she's 100% right. She did that all the time to us. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing is, like, I have a pretty good litmus test now of, of like, when I need to make an amend. So, like, yeah. once you do your house cleaning steps, then you get to 10, 11, and 12. And those are those are the maintenance steps. Those are, like, how, how do I put this into practice for the rest of my life? How do I, how do I continue to live this way and and make it sustainable so the way 10 is worded is um continue to take personal inventory of ourselves and when we were wrong promptly admitted it i already know that i you know i'm you know by the grace of god i've got over 15 months of sobriety now and i've gone through the steps and when i when i'm dragging my feet of talking to someone about something when i'm when i'm like reluctant to say I'm start, sorry, that's when I know I actually have to make an amends there because it's it, what it's what I'm doing in that moment is I'm again trying to take back my will. I'm trying to hold on to the things that I just am not willing to let go and give over to God. Because if I've acted a certain way, if I've done this, you know, it may be a mistake, it may be a sin, but I also have to have faith that God can forgive me and this person can forgive me if I'm forthcoming and if I'm actually you know, really trying my best to to be the right person and make amends, I gotta have faith that it's gonna work out, even if they're mad at me. And it may not work out in the sense that, that you think. They may be mad at you forever, but that's not for that's not for you to internalize. That's not for you, you know, you've done what you can to make it right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was gonna ask. That's like, actually, what happens when people are like, no. Oh, I've had I've had some people that have just straight up been like, no. And it's okay. Because you you still leave with the sense that you've done everything that you can because you've given it over to God now. You've truly, you've got faith and you've truly given it over to God to know that it's not, you know, by withholding that amends, what I'm doing is I'm I'm holding back that... I may be holding back information from this, the person, but really what I'm holding myself back from is I'm just afraid that I'm going to be hurt by them saying no. And that's that's not right. Um, 
but you know, going going forward, then it's like so you're 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 continuing to take the personal inventory. Eleven is we sought through prayer and meditation to uh, improve our conscious contact with God, asking only for knowledge of His will and strength to carry that out. You know, we once you make that decision in step three, and you you go through the rest of the process, you you realize that you know you've been living this entire time on self-will like I've been and it's exhausting it's absolutely exhausting trying to to run your life on self-will and trying to to only do things to your own end so in 11 trying to you know praying and meditating and trying to you know have knowledge of God's will that's all we can pray for we can't we don't pray for specific things we don't pray for material things we don't you, you can pray for somebody but even then all all we're praying for is for God's will for them that's it it's funny, I actually, I was at a meeting last night and I have a close pro, uh, friend in the program and they were actually there at my very first, they were a young person. They were there at my first a meeting. Uh, first first time I walked in, they were getting a two-year call. He was laughing and happy and I was angry and I did not ever foresee myself being able to be that joyous. Mm-hmm. Be, you know, we have a, a saying in the program is, you know what we trade we're trading a horrible life for the opportunity to be to be joyous happy and i saw a perfect example of what that looked like my very first day and i was like that's never going to be me i just didn't feel it in my heart but it was because i had i was still holding on to all of these things that were separating me from true faith and so last night he had a relapse thank god he was only out for 12 hours he was only out for 12 hours because he he grew up in a family heavily centered around AA. He knew he knows where the solution is. He knows where to find it. He knows where to find love. And so he came right back in. And last night he got to uh, re-get his one-year coin. And as we were going around the room, and uh, I'm sitting there noticing this pattern that, you know, a lot of people, we said the same thing, that we weren't glad that he had to go through that, but we were glad that he did because it helped a lot of other people. For myself in particular, it helped me see what that looks like and see, because again, my old my old fears of the imprints of dogma that was left on me as a child, like I, I carried into AA. I still was carrying into that fear of like, if I don't do these things right, everybody's gonna, you know, everybody's gonna hate me. Everybody, you know, I'm not gonna have friends. I'm not gonna be loved and accepted. And watching him go through that process, I saw nothing but unconditional love and acceptance for that person. And it put me at ease because now I truly have an understanding and faith that that works for me. It, you know, I, I, I have a, a relationship with God that works for me because I know no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. No matter what happens, as long as, as, long as I just know that it's not in my hands it's going to be fine i just it's not for me to understand it's for me to accept that's another big principle of aa is being able to accept everything as it comes accepting life on life's terms you know there's especially in the catholic church there's a lot of social activism that honestly i i feel like a lot of kids are pressured into and make them feel a certain way of like if i'm not fighting for this then i'm not on the right side of morality I'm not saying that you should be indifferent. I'm saying that that's a personal decision that you need to make for yourself. You have to yeah. you have to fully understand where you're coming in that instead of just jumping on a bandwagon yes. and and trying yeah. to, you know, get involved with something that is bigger than you but you have no understanding. Somebody that was pretty prevalent in my journey through faith in my life always said lead with love. Yeah. When you're presented with those types of situations where you even touched on it like when you were a kid and you would feel like the way you thought about things was wrong because you didn't feel the way that you thought everybody else around you did and Mm -hmm. I think that's like in our gut we have a natural compassion as kids and the way that I grew up didn't really allow that to grow it actually started yeah and something that I had to like completely relearn got a little interrupted and there's a little bit of background noise but we're just gonna go with it so yeah let's continue basically my my point kind of was the intentionality behind people's actions matters and why they have done the things that they've done whether they are what they're doing is right or wrong I think what matters more in my eyes now where I am is what were their intentions behind it and then also for me personally like failure is not permanent yeah so there's one thing there that i will a a little bit disagree with you there and and this is just this is just my experience with AA. is my intentions don't mean anything in that 
it's my actual actions. Like I have right. to take yeah. accountability and responsibility for my for what I do and what mm -hmm. I say. And that's the thing is like it, it was so weird to me. The further separated from God I got, the, the worse my intentions got. Obviously, that's that's kind of a no brainer. But like in the beginning, when I when I was using and hurting people, I still had nothing but what I thought were the best intentions. You know, nothing but what I thought were what I. There's this analogy in the big book. At the beginning of one of the chapters, chapter five, that's it's titled "How It Works," and there's this analogy of a bad actor who steals control of the show and and just you know tries to take control of everything, and that that resonated with me so so much because there's a there's just one little phrase in there. It's like if if only these people would do the things that I say, everything would be perfect. Can't they see that? You mm -hmm. know, and that's where my intention was. Mm -hmm. That's where you know to me. It, you can have great intentions and still end up doing something so horrible to somebody because you're you're essentially taking you're taking God's will into your hands. Yeah. You're making it your so, will. So to clarify when I said that, I, I was kind of more on the aspect of how we look at other people's lives and where we draw judgments towards other people. I understand. Are, we, now, are yeah. we drawing judgments on the superficial parts of it or are we actually taking the time to make the connection with the person and find out what their true intentions were? Yeah. And so if that makes a little yes. bit more sense. Because I do agree with you on what you said. Yeah, absolutely. And and what you're talking about there in the judgment of it, it's like that was, the, again, that's like the, that's, that was always the part that I had such a hang up with as a kid is like who are you know you're saying that we have this all-knowing all-loving god capable of boundless forgiveness and love and they're s sitting above everybody judging and and weighing everything that's in their heart and everything and to me that's just such a strange idea i think it just the further I, I go along as an adult and experience the human experience the the more i realize that you know the love is endless, you know, people's intentions in their heart don't mean anything, it, it, and, you know, what matters is when you're judging somebody, when you're judging somebody on the superficial things like that, of that, of like, oh, I'm judging you for the things you do or the things you say and not what's in your heart, you can't look into somebody else's heart. God's the only one that can, and I, I don't think he's even necessarily, it's not, it's the combination of those two things. It's not just the judgment of what's in your heart, and it, it, it's, what's in your heart how do you act on it and that's why you know for the rest of my life and the rest of, of my time you know trying to be a, a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous is that comes to the final step step 12 it's it's worded at having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps we try to carry this message to the alcoholic who still suffers and practice these principles in all our affairs and so it's service is being of service to another person and showing showing another person compassion and love that's that's at the core of true love and faith you know, I think that's that's always been my hang-up with, you know, what we've called the, the terms and conditions of God is that, you know, if there's all these terms and conditions, how 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 can my service be of any use and be any good to them? Because all I'm trying to do is change them. I'm not trying to accept yeah. them. I'm not trying to understand them. That was always such a big thing for me growing up because I, I'd like to believe I've, I've tried to be a pretty unbiased kid. I tried to I tried to understand people and meet people where they were at, and I think that's that was kind of crushed out of me as as a hardwiring, um, you know, from the doctrine of the Catholic faith. And and now I'm trying to to live my life in a in a different way where you know I've had conversations with people who that I'm sober now and, and they've seen this they've seen some of the people that I deal with they've seen some of the people that I try to help and you can you, you can always just see it on somebody's face when they're like they have that reservation of like you know this person can't be helped this person whatever to me it's as simple as knowing because I had what they call in the program a high bottom I I still had a lot of the material things. I had a family that still loved me. I still had support. I still had a lot of things, but I knew I could see the bottom. I could see the floor coming up to smack. And not only that, I was so soul sick. I was just so in pain that I finally was willing to do something about it. 
and it's a gift it truly is a gift and I see people who it's like you hear their stories they start telling you about themselves and you want to sit there and be like god you idiot like why why can't <laughs> how have you not just come to see things the way that I see them and that's that's it right there that is the exact instance that I know that this is a forever disease I'm not ever going to be over that I'm still going to have that judgment I'm still going to have that in my heart and and the wonderful thing about my life now is I I have the ability to look back and see I am that person the things that I judge the things I'm not able or willing to accept in other people are the pro the problems that I find in myself you know that's why I'm so hard on it is because I don't like that in me and I don't want it for you yeah my I'm I still struggle with that same mindset too of, of seeing something in somebody else that I'm like why can't you see it yeah but you can't help somebody if they don't exactly you know, and you just have to be there for them and and that's what you know in the in the example that i'm talking about there of, of my friend getting the one-year coin and everything it's like it was nuts to me because they they're also sharing about how he was before and yeah i i met this happy wonderful individual that i you know up until last night i i'd never had any inkling of like yeah he's probably been sad and all this other stuff but hearing his story and hearing how he was before he came into the program you know again it's it's like looking at a tapestry it's like looking at something when you see it as a whole, it's absolutely beautiful, it's mm -hmm. full of love, but you know, flipping it around and looking at all the individual strands, it's like, yeah, that's, it's a mess. Well, yeah. What it took to get but there. It, yeah. But yeah, and that's what I always kind of think about too, because I've heard that analogy before, is like the back of it that looks a mess is almost adds to how much more beautiful the other side is. Exactly. Because there's so much there's, more work. Yeah, you yeah, see the work. You, the work. you see the work. You see the work. Yeah, that's where all the effort is. And yeah, you're right. You see it. I did have a question. Mm -hmm. When you talked about the book, is the that book. That's yeah. the, the big so book? The, I know so I asked book. that question last <laughs> yeah. I can't what remember what the big book was. So let's, let, yeah, let's make that distinction here real quick is, you know, for, for Christians, the big book is the Bible. Mm -hmm. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, we have a collection of of readings it's called the big books of the big book of alcoholics anonymous and essentially what it is is it the first 164 pages are the program in a nutshell it it walks you through the steps it walks you through dealing with other people and it gives some personal anecdotes of, of the founders of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and then the rest of the book is is personal experiences um, there's I want to say 27 individual stories in there mm -hmm. of individuals sharing you know their their experience strength and hope in so that somebody else can get through it and there's been now four editions of Alcoholics Anonymous you know it, it's funny in the forward of the book it, it talks about differences in the publications of each edition but then it also go it also gives you an idea of how large this organization is just to beat it into you that this is bigger than you yeah. is um you know i think in the first year there were there was maybe i want to say ten thousand copies published and now there's over 50 million and it's Whoa. it's international it's worldwide um the wonderful thing about this program just just like with many faiths, is you can walk into any community and you get almost any community on, on earth and find some form of this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, I think that was the biggest thing for me wanting to come on here and explain is, is going through this process of being raised with faith and then losing it because I did, that was one of, that was one of the hardest things of going through step four and five. I didn't even want to admit that I, that I had resentments against God, but I did. Um, I'll share one little personal story here that really kind of brought me back around to it. it the clear, the clear example of where where me and God, I'd finally thrown my hands up and said, "Fine, take it." Was um, I? I was living alone. Um, I had a personal one of, one of my best friends that I grew up with. I was uh, seemingly living a happy life. On the outside, it looked like I had a lot of things going for me, and I was happy. But I was using and drinking almost every night, and um, one particular night. I just, I didn't care. I decided I didn't care. Um, I wasn't actively trying to kill myself, but I was using myself into a stupor that I, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned whether or not I'd wake up. And um, that particular night, I lost my friend to an overdose. And it was really hard because I thought that we, I thought he'd gotten out. I knew he had some time sober enough. And by sober enough, you know, the, the, uh, 
the way I say that, Mina, is like I didn't know what living sober actually was. Um, I knew what abstinence was and how to abstain from alcohol and drugs and knew that I couldn't do it by myself, but I thought that he could. It was hard. I woke up, I woke up to the call that my friend had died in another country and you know, I didn't, it's just, it, it just goes to show how insane that disease is. I immediately swore that I wasn't going to, you know, that I was going to straighten up and then I was high again that night. But I didn't know, I didn't know we were, I think that was the first step down this path was that was kind of the last nail in the heart there of God showing me that you're not in control. and. Ugly things are gonna happen, but beautiful things can come from it. And so for me, I didn't, I didn't even really address that again until I started uh, doing my step four, and it was because I thought I was mad at my friend. I thought I was mad at him for for being selfish and the things that he did and everything. And my sponsor looked at me when I when I was going over my step five with him, and he pointed out, he's like, "You think you're, you think you know better than God? You think you know better than God? You think that, um, you know, you have all the answers and that." It, you know, I was that bad actor in chapter five. If, if everybody would just do the things I want and the things that I say, it would all be perfect. It'd be perfect for everybody. And that's not how, that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. I didn't have faith in that moment. I didn't have any faith in my life at that point. Like that was losing my friend. That was just the last nail in the coffin that I didn't have any faith that anything was going to work out that, you know, and that's why I got high again that night. I didn't, I didn't care at that point. I was so angry with God with my friend and with life that I didn't care. There were some other things that had to happen first for me to to really hit that bottom and, and be willing to work on it because at that point, it's funny, I have this big paradox now in my life and probably one of the hardest things to reconcile between my life now and my recovery is I opened a business and that's one of the most willful things that you can do. I always joke around with uh, people in the program. Is I, I right before I walk through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, and unknowingly would have to give my entire will and my life up to something bigger than me. Was I did one of the most willful things and opened a business, and now have you know people I'm responsible for and, and yeah. big decisions to make that affect a lot of people. And I think the wonderful thing about it now is that I get to do them not only sober, but do them in a way that doesn't, it can't just benefit me. It can't just be for me. I've tried to be a selfless person in my life, but having been able to actually examine myself and actually see where I stand morally in it, a lot of even the selfless things that I thought I was doing, they, they had their own terms and conditions. They had their own strings attached that I was attaching to them. So now, as I live my life, I try to examine things through the lens of, is this is this going to be something that brings me to a closer relationship and understanding of God's will? Is this going to be something that's going to be helpful to some, someone else? I've done all of these things for myself and I you know I've only scratched the surface of, of what I really should give back and that brings up another thing too where I you know when I started making the amends and everything I I had all of this guilt I had I felt like I owed everybody everything but one of the most important amend, amends that we have to make in this process is the amends to ourselves. the amends of being able to admit to yourself a that you were wrong that you're worth it that you deserve love and respect and acceptance and best thing that you can do to try to to make that amends is make a a living amends to yourself that you're going to live the rest of your life not just seeking those things because they're what you want but seeking those things because if you have them you might be able to help somebody else you might be able to be a part of somebody else's story and help them out it's a wonderful wonderful feeling of knowing that i'm not living in that hell anymore problems I have today they're not nearly like the problems I had two years ago you know the 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 feelings that I have today I I have so much more gratitude in my life even for the bad things that happen we were talking about it before we started recording is that you know that feeling of living in this uh, living in in hell you know the catholic understanding of it of you know living in separation from god I don't have that anymore even if I don't abide by all of the, the terms and conditions that I was taught as a kid, I still have true faith and acceptance in myself that God loves me yeah. and has compassion for me. And he's made me a, a human being that, that has faults 
that aren't up to me. You know, that's, again, that's a, that's a step seven thing of like humbly asking, like I have these things that are wrong with me, but it's not even up to me whether or not they go away. Like I can do my best, I have to put in my part and do my work to try to make things right. right, but I'm still a human being. There's still something bigger than me out there, and it's up to that that's gonna decide whether or not those things are gonna go away. It's, all, it's not for me to understand, it's just for me to accept. Yeah. That's it. It's yeah. a much simpler way of living. Um, it's a way of life and a, and, and a faith that actually works for me now, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And that's amazing. That's the sincerity and authenticity that you have sharing your story with us I just I'm really thankful and glad that you shared that because I like I feel like I have a lot to learn from your life story and experiences just like you know you can learn something from everybody but there's so much that I'm like oh wow that's really something I'm going to take away from today mm -hmm. and that's encouraging yeah and, and there's hope I would that's, make I was going to say and that's you know that's what 12-step programs, and not sp not just specifically Alcoholics Anonymous, I want to give a plug to a couple other different ones, not Narcotics Anonymous, Sexaholics Anonymous, um, Al-Anon, which is uh, for codependency. There are people that come to these rooms and seek this way of life of a 12-step program that don't have a specific problem with one of those things, but what it, you know, what that life can give, it, it gives you so much. Um, I think one of the biggest things, and it's it, there is a section called the promises it's not just like laid out like bullet points but there's you know I think one of the most important things is that self-seeking start, starts to slip away self-seeking starts to slip away um, God doesn't make hard terms with people that come to know him and that's why it's always worded a God of your understanding you know and I think that the more that you search the more that you'll come to find that it is full of compassion and love and, and not just this black and white idea of all these terms and conditions, all yeah. these things that were imprinted, you know, or imprinted on us as children. Yeah. And that's, you know, I went through some hard times, but I'm happy. I'm happy because I got to, again, make my own decision about it. Um, and it's brought me exactly to where I need to be. Thank you guys for letting me share this. We really you know, appreciate honestly, it. Honestly, thank you for sharing yeah. it with us and for the people that are listening. I mean, I think we are a little surprised with some of the people that listen, and I think it's really going to be helpful. I mean, if it's somebody for me who doesn't have a problem with alcohol or, or really anything, um, it still touched me and touched my heart. And, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm leaving encouraged by this, too. Yeah. And... I mean, we're proud of you, and I know you're proud of yourself, and you've got so many people who are. You know, I know a lot of people's stories don't end up the way that yours has, but there's hope for and that's, people. that's the other thing, too, is like, you know, I, I just do it a day at a time. Mm -hmm. A day at a time, because yes. I, you never know what tomorrow's going to bring, and, and nothing's ever a permanent state of being. Mm -hmm. And that's why, if, you know, if this reaches somebody that this actually helps, I, you know, just know it's not me. The, that God's always trying to reach us however he can. And so um, I hope that you can take this and, and make something of it. So thank you. Oh, yeah. No, thank you again. Okay, I think we're going to wrap this up. But like I said, thank you for talking to us. Yeah. All right, I guess we're done. Okay. <laughs> and we can be done. All right. Yep. Yeah.